pain to make it slap for you. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Half Court Trap Podcast. My name is Daryl Harris. This is my boy Chuck Campbell. And we got a new, fresh intro song for you guys to set the mood for what you're about to hear, the journey you're about to partake with us. Yes, sir. How you feeling, you feeling bro? I'm good, man. Uh, another day in paradise for all of our listeners. It is about to be 6 p.m. on the west coast on monday night and uh we've got a pretty full slate for you guys so we'll go ahead and jump right in daryl you want to start us off with a little bit of a finals recap without further ado so we are one day removed from game three of the nba finals and we knew it was going to happen sooner or later and we got the Lakers, the Lakers stinker in game three. Is that what we're going to call it? Well, you know what? That would be slightly disrespectful to Jimmy Butler. We got the oh my God, Jimmy game, game three. Yeah, I, I, uh, I wrote it down as the, you know, there's the God disguises Michael Jordan game. This was mm-hmm. the Michael Jordan disguises Jimmy Butler game. Accurately put. Miami won the game by a score of 115 to 104. And if you didn't know, James Butler had a day finishing with 40 points, 11 rebounds, 13 assists, 14 of 20 for the field, 12 and 14 from the free throw line. The only player in the game to get to the free throw line, double digits, led the game overall in rebounding and minutes played, clocking in at 45. And also tied LeBron James um, with 40 points and a triple-double as the second-highest total output for a triple-double ever, number one being Jerry West with 42. Interestingly enough, uh, Jimmy Butler is the only player to do that and win the game. I did not know that. I did not know that part. Yeah, no, he had himself a day. Honestly, that was the story of the game. It was some early struggles from the Lakers to get into a flow. They shot pretty abysmally from three, 14 for 42, 33%. But with the exception of AD. Actually, and Markeith Morris. Markeith Morris had a heck of a game from three. Go ahead. But but with the exception of – well, AD didn't have a great game, but I'm saying with the exception of AD, it's not what we talked about previewing the series when we said, you know what you're going to get for the most part from LeBron and AD. Yeah. Which Rondo are you going to see? What Dwight Howard are you going to see? Which KCP are you going to see? Which Danny And Green. I think that can change on any given night. And we got a, a, an impressive follow-up performance to an impressive game one and game two from the Lakers supporting cast. And yes. overall, up and down their roster. And game three, they looked like a completely different team. Their third most consistent player was they, Kyle Cooper. They looked like – they look like the team we saw during the regular season for the most part, right? Very dependent on their stars to find a rhythm. And with Anthony Davis and some early foul trouble and overall not being aggressive from the floor, he has these games where it's not that he's 
not be trying to be aggressive, but what the defense presents creates a discomfort for his offensive flow. And it seemed like so, Miami packed the paint defensively all yes. night, and he and, just didn't have a lane to assert his dominance the way he did. And they're going to need to continue to pack the paint because that's really their only chance is if they can pack the paint, try and keep up on the boards, and hope that the Lakers don't get out from, from three. That's that was, the good news for Miami. Here's the bad yeah. news. The Lakers are 3-0 following a loss this postseason. Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis averages 30 in those games. And even – I can't – so so Bam and Goran Dragic are both doubtful at best for game four. Yeah. Even if Bam plays, there's no way AD has another game like he did, did in game three. Yeah, and if Bam plays, it's tough to see – that being a clear-cut addition to what the Heat You don't know what you can get in. Right, exactly. And, you, you know. saw uh, Myers Leonard take a big step from mm-hmm. game two to game three. Yep. Kelly Olenek has been comfortable. He's had big playoff his, in, games in his before. minutes. In his minutes. He's had big playoff games in the past. For sure. So, um, not, not surprised there to see that with the opportunity that those players did step up. But, but here's the issue. Game four is also just as much of a must-win as game three was. Yeah. Because you're, just, you're not going to beat LeBron James three times a row in the finals when he's got AD with him and when he's driven the way he seems to be driven right now. No, sir. I, I don't. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And I actually thought that game two – I didn't think that it was out of reach for LA until the final minutes. And they had to really be kind of put away in that game. I thought that. You mean Miami? Or are you talking about game three? No, uh, game three. I didn't think that the Lakers were out of reach until the final minutes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and it's uh, interesting. Because so far this series, Frank Vogel, actually this entire postseason, Frank Vogel has done, whether or not Frank Vogel deserves all the credit, somebody has managed the Lakers' bench in regards to their egos and letting them know that your time will come and your minutes will be will be available. And he's rotating well, his players throughout. We saw a really big marquee points mean, game. But if, if you've got, I expect if him you've to. Got I expect that he'll come in to Game Four with a different game plan than we've seen so far. It's possible, but I mean, when you've got LeBron James on your team as a coach, the two most important things for you are ego management and minute allotment, right? I mean, LeBron's going to take care of ninety percent basketball stuff, yeah. Whether whether you want him to or not, as we've seen in the past, yeah. But from the personnel point of view, I do think that we get a few more development game minutes next game because the Lakers looked much more inept inept in the paint that they than who they have shown themselves to be. So that's fair. And it's that possible. Was I mean, I think both teams will make adjustments. Yeah. Coach Bo is probably the most underrated coach in the league. Um, and he's not going to lay down how to fight. Neither is Jimmy Butler. 
Butler. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I forgot who was doing the post-game interview, but they asked, you know, Jimmy, what was the key to how did you guys flip the script? And his first words were rebounds, period. Yep. He said we rebounded. And you can tell that. Man, shout out to Jimmy, man. That you know, you know who I'm rooting for in this series, but that was a hell of a performance. For 45 minutes of out of 48, he sat briefly to start the fourth. Feeling like his Chicago days. He just made, yeah, he made right play after right play. And this was the Jimmy, the galvanizing player that we knew he was capable of. And I didn't know if we were going to see after he rolled his ankle in game one. Right. My outlook on the series was really compromised because I didn't think he was going to be a, a full version of himself. But it appears that he is not having any any lingering difficulties from that ankle injury. And if he is, he's just, he's just playing through it. 100%. So, shouts out to him. I think that he put a good portion of the basketball world on notice with this performance. And whether or not the Heat get another game in this series, this is what we all meant when we said, out of respect for Coach Bolstra, their organization, Jimmy Butler, the talent they have, the heart those guys have, they will at least get a game. This well, that's, that's what you said. I said they were going to win the whole thing. That was before a whole bunch of injuries happened. Okay, we're not going to do what ifs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they got this game. I, I'm not. I'm not going to flip my position on where I think the series goes. I think the Lakers. Why would you? It's looking like you're dead on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there's people. Wait, who, what you gonna say? No, I want to be wrong now. <laughs> you know, some people swing from one end to the spe- one end to the next from one game performance and you know they might think that Tyler Hero is going to go off for 30 next game because he finished the game with his mean mug you know what I, I respect I respect your stance so much that I'm going to keep my Miami in six <laughs> <laughs> hey we believe baby all right I think uh that pretty much sums up what we've got for the finals recap so far unless Daryl you got anything else to add no except that I will note there is a melancholy vibe in the air regarding this finals. And maybe that is, maybe it's just because there's a ton of other sports on right now that in comparison, the, the, the games aren't as much of a spectacle, but it's still the NBA finals, you know, the champion will go down in history still. So the, the finals MVP race took an interesting turn. Maybe LeBron caught. Maybe LeBron caught up a bit, and Anthony Davis left the door crack. But we'll see how those things play out. We'll have another couple of games before we put a bow in this series, at least, and we'll come back Definitely. to it and revisit the Finals MVP race some more. Definitely approaching the closeout game. And with that being said, I'm excited for us to go into this next segment because this is gonna. Peel the curtain back a little bit for you guys into who we are as sports fans, who we are as people, even. Oh, uh, well. And uh, we're going to show you guys some of our sports biases. And it's, you know, we're, we're in a position where we're, we're reporting on sports and you want to do so objectively, but let's also. We're still fans. Know, exactly. 
Yeah, we there's a reason. Ignore that side of the of of the of the experience. Right. The reason we got into this is because we were fans first and foremost, and then yeah. that just developed into a deeper love of the game overall. But we've definitely still got uh, some deep roots tied certain places. Certainly. And do you want to take this the first one, Chuck? Um, because you've got a, you've got a hot list. Plenty of people be plenty of people to piss off. Plenty scorched earth. <laughs> scorched earth. You you can throw a dart at, at your board right now and land on some gold. So I, I want to hear which one you want to you want to lead off with first. Uh, I'm gonna lead off with the one that I think I'll get the most pushback from, since you are first and foremost a LeBron fan. And that is Jordan over everyone and the University of North Carolina over everything. You weren't even there. Didn't have to be there. I can look, numbers don't lie. You can six and zero in the finals does not lie. Six for six, three for three. You know, I think they're both bad in a hundred in terms of finals wins and finals MVPs. In the grand scheme of things, what else really matters? I'm just joking. Go ahead. I'll let you elaborate <laughs> as to as to why you hold Jordan in that light and uh, why you have such ties to the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. So Jordan didn't just represent the ultimate basketball player. He represented the ultimate competitor. And I think all of us got a better glimpse into that and even the more human sides of Jordan during the Last Dance documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, this was somebody that loved North Carolina, won a title at North Carolina, and then was contemplating staying for his senior year in North Carolina. And Dean Smith pretty much said, you're too good to be hanging out here another year. And as soon as he gets to Chicago, yeah, it all you takes already, You already got me a championship. Go get them checks. He signs a shoe deal that at the time is very confusing because it's not Converse, which is where all the big names are, mm-hmm. and turns it into a global empire, not only during his career, but after his career. Um, as far as the University of North Carolina, the first basketball game I ever watched that I have a memory of was 2005 championship, North Carolina versus Illinois. Uh, uh, Sean May... Uh, Marvin Williams, recently retired, all those guys going up, Raymond Felton going up against Steve Brown, Luther Head, uh, Darren Williams. It's really good Illinois team. Yeah. Um, and watching that game, I just fell in love with the way they played. I fell in love with the Carolina Blue, and that re- that's really what made me a basketball fan, first and foremost, was watching that game. Chuck is not the person to troll when one of his teams is doing bad. <laughs> oh, I will I, I will block you for like a day. Just just until I'm I'm cooled off. He will he will say he will completely lose his character and apologize the next day, like you said. That, that, but, that's why I'm saying that's why the me blocking people, it's not it's not for my sake, it's for theirs because you know there's some things you say that you can't take back. And if I'm in a dark place after a you know buzzer beater against North Carolina. <clears throat> um, yeah, and I feel then, like Carolina's at the top of that list for you, for sure. It's like your first, it's like your firstborn. 
Yeah, I mean, Carolina basketball is one and, and of course the Mavs. But but you know, Mavs, that's my city. Um, you know, that's where I'm from. I love the Mavs, but Carolina holds a special special place in my heart. I won't I won't say anything to to infuriate the man. So I'm not going to I'm not going to crap on on UNC. They're de- they're a blue blood. Um and I, and I definitely won't say anything to discredit Mike. What what we the last dance provided a good bit of nostalgia and a good history lesson for those who weren't familiar with the real career arc that Jordan that Jordan's exactly. career was. He, he's a ghost. There isn't the opportunity won't even present itself for somebody to well, do what he did to to and- basketball. And I'm going to steal this from Bill Simmons because he says it all the time, and I think it's so spot on. Um, he's the only athlete that we've ever described in game the same way we would describe as a serial killer, right? Like Michael Jordan, like, you know, hits a turnaround from 18, and you've got Mike Green saying, oh, and Jordan absolutely rips the Pistons' heart out, right? Like, you know, nobody's saying that about – He's like, a bad effort. Right, yeah, yeah. He, he was the baddest dude on the planet, and everybody knew it. Yeah, long and if lit. you didn't know, he was going to let you know. For sure. Nothing, nothing, to, nothing, to, nothing to say against that, man. I, I will spin it and uh, lead off my list. To I'll go from the Michael Jordan conversation to the LeBron conversation because the world loves to do that so much. But – for me, I became a fan of basketball at an early age and born and raised in Los Angeles, but there was just something about LeBron's game that I feel like I gravitated towards as a as a young as a young hooper. He was a bigger player, but he, what, he, what he was not saying here is that he thought he was a young LeBron James in the making. Hey, you got to start from somewhere. Just a, just a kid from Carson. <laughs> but there was something about – I think I was fascinated by the fact that he was a big, a, big, a big player but played like a guard, had an inside-out game. Of course, he wasn't the first to do so, but I'm eight years old watching basketball. And <laughs> this is who I'm seeing and, you know, who I you know, deemed as my favorite. So, being in L.A., throughout the 2000s with LeBron as your favorite player every single day almost I had to have the Kobe versus LeBron schoolyard school bus argument and being and one of the few, ganged up on too being being almost always on an island by myself you probably but lost those, friends over that those days were not sweet and it was Laker. It's Kobe Nation. LA is LA is Kobe City. So none of that was lost on me. I never even definitively. I tried to stand my ground, but I wouldn't even say no, man. LeBron's better than Kobe. Period. I was just it is what it is, man. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight you. I'm not gonna fight you people over this. But right. LeBron was my guy, and it's interesting because. Once Kobe's career went into the sunset, 
LeBron entered a new realm as a basketball player, and it was undeniable that right around 2010. Yeah, 2010 to close out the rest of the decade. Yeah, it became his greatness became undeniable. Feel how you feel. Have him at wherever you want in your all-time list. Do but don't special. tell me he's not top five at yeah. the very least. Dude was absolutely special. So, and I, I've always felt a, a bit of a telepathic connection. I felt like he was uh, going to Miami when he did because it was intriguing. That it hadn't. It seemed like a brand new move to make as a player in the league at the time, and I was intrigued by it. It happened. And when the time ran its course there, I really hoped that he would go back to Cleveland because the story was nice. And why not? He went back to Cleveland, did what he had to do. 2016 finals will go down as the best, my best sports memory of all time. That game seven was on Father's Day. Watched it with my brother and my dad. Came back. My dad's a lifelong Kobe stan. But even he's rooting for LeBron against Steph. He's like, man, get these boys out of here, man. I need, I need Bron to take this because, come on, we can't have, have the league going in this direction. And it was just such a melting pot that I really, I really dug it. And then free agency came around again, and I'm like, Bron, come to L.A. It, it I, makes, just, I just want to interject for all of our listeners that Daryl is neither psychic nor clairvoyant. It's just, hey, I, I woke up with the feeling. Um, this isn't revisionist history. Take it as you want. But. I will take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> Whatever. So. The offseason approaches 2018. Like, his kids are coming to L.A. The, 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 his time in Cleveland seems to have ran its course. And sure enough, he signs with the Lakers, which. For the 15 years before that, would have seemed like it would only take place in an alternate universe, but it actually played out in the real NBA. And now my hometown joined forces with my favorite player, and I'm able to just wholeheartedly root for my city. And I'm like, wow, this is a whole nother level of fandom that I'm glad to, to take part in. But it's been, it's been very infuriating for me. Just trust me on that. No, it's, it's, a, it's a scenario of the, the riskier richer, but the work is still being put in to get to that point. And even though I wasn't a, a, a personal Lakers or my favorite team for my entire life, that's not my story. I did, you know, go with the city through periods of Andrew Gowlock being our starting point guard. So this was a long time coming to get back. Kind of to the top hey, of the mountain. He's a bucket, though. He was for about a. He was for about four weeks. <laughs> all right. Four all weeks, right, but right. I, I'll, I'll leave it there, man. That, that's my story. When it comes to to why I mess with Bron, he's just an overall. He's an overall basketball player, and he's the best one I think to ever do it. All right. So before I get into my next bias. I need to preface that this is in no way any sort of personal slight, but just an opinion. Watch him clean it up. And I've also got to ask you a question. Go ahead. 
was Syracuse the last team to win an NCAA championship using a zone defense, like exclusively zone? Yes, that would be correct. Who did Syracuse have on that team? Was Carmelo Anthony. Anthony and Hakeem Warwick, who was no already a stud yeah. in college. No slouch. I do not think Scott Drew will ever win an NCAA title because of his reliance on the zone defense. Really? Is that what you boil it down to? Because I know you have some experience working for working for the Baylor men's basketball team and, and kind of getting a, a first-person account they, for what goes a, on it's there. It's an incredible program. They outperform their expectations every single year. Um, but, you know, our freshman year at Baylor, we got upset by Yale in the first round. You've got the famous, famous Torian Prince quote about rebounding post-game. I don't know if I'll ever be more disappointed. That, that was a rough night for me, my friend. I don't know what, uh, what, what our realistic hopes were that season, but it wasn't to lose to Yale. It, no, no, that was not anywhere on the bucket list. You weren't looking forward um, to, it, to going out to the Ivy League. And I just don't see Baylor landing a Carmelo Anthony ever for a multitude of reasons. Um, and just – the combination of that and having to go up against other Big 12 schools for recruiting, you're in Waco, which isn't exactly a uh, hotbed of NBA talent. Um, you know, it's, so you have it's, to, it's you, a tough trek. Do you put an asterisk by the 2019-2020 season? Because if you ask me, they were the odds-on favorite going into the NCAA tournament before COVID ruined our dreams. That, and that's fine. How many times has Syracuse been a one, two, three, four seed and got bounced in the first or second round? I mean, you get to the tournament and anything happens. And to, to a lesser extent, I felt the same way about Tony Bennett for a while because his teams are always so defensive-oriented that eventually you're going to play somebody that gets hot in the tournament and outscores you. Now, granted, I think there's a much easier path for Tony Bennett to get that title, especially when you look at some of the recruits Virginia's not only targeting but landing. Yeah. Um, and Baylor has one hell of a class coming in too for 2021 and 2022. But it, it's I'm just not a proponent of exclusively using – the zone defense. Hell, I don't even like exclusively using man defense. Mm -hmm. Tough, tough break. If Baylor Nation is listening to this, we didn't want um, you guys to get depressed ahead of the 2020 season. But I do, I, I think they probably win the Big 12. I mean, the, it's a great, great, great group of guys. Um, Coach Drew is a phenomenal human being. He's a good coach, great coach. Mm -hmm. And he's one of the rare people at that level that truly has his players' best intentions at heart. I've, I've got nothing but good things to say about Coach Scott Drew. Got me. And just one, one last part. Uh, so you said that 
you don't feel like Scott Drew will take him there because of his reliance on the 2-3 zone. So are you just not high on the zone being winning basketball? I just think – Of course, if I, you have that superstar, it takes you over the hump. But Right. But I just think at the college level, um, it's a lot easier to get complacent on offense if you're in a zone on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and also – a zone is easier to figure out, and once somebody figures out your zone, mm-hmm. it's hard to make adjustments if you've been playing that specific way all year. Yeah, but you, you still picked Miami in six? No, I was playing with that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking, too. That was – oh, man, that felt really good. Uh, that whole time I was trolling you. I just wanted to say that part right there. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling. I, you know, I got, got to keep cool under the trap. No, no. So my next bias that I will proudly uh, proudly put out there is that, again, I, I can't, this isn't the Los Angeles pod, but I'm from L.A. And I will ride for players that come out of L.A. Because As you should. The track record speaks for Phenomenal. itself. It, it's Phenomenal. It's an incredible pool of elite players when you look at the grand scheme of distribution across the country. This class, this 2020 class, the LA and greater LA area, mm-hmm. absolutely loaded. When you, they definitely part, there's not enough colleges on the West Coast and especially powerhouse college basketball programs. Well, USC and UCLA are in the gutter. Wash U gets. The Pac-12 has taken a big hit due to not being represented at the end of the season. And then you've got Gonzaga, but then it's like, all right, do I really want scouts breaking down 25 games for me against WCC opponents? Exactly. You know, same, same, same argument stands. So, of course, we got these players, and they, and they go across, they go everywhere. And it's just, you know, to speak on it a little bit, you have Russell Westbrook went to Luzinger High School. You have James Hart, who went to Artesia High School. You have Kawhi Leonard. This is just your district specifically, isn't it? <laughs> LAUSD and, uh, yeah, James Harden, fun fact, is went to one of the three high schools in my district within LAUSD. Okay. And, okay, okay. Yeah. But not looking far, not, not having to travel far out. I mean, Paul George is from Riverside, but. Yep. <laughs> but we'll put him in there. I mean, Kevin Love, DeMar DeRozan. Baron Davis, Paul Pierce, Tyson Chandler, Tayshawn Prince, Clay Thompson, Reggie Miller. Not to, you know, tail off, but Lonzo Ball, Mellow Ball. Like, there's just a pool of players ranging from, from all-stars to superstars to Hall of Famers to long-lasting role players that make it out of L.A., and I'm proud of it as, as a player in that city. I know as Shoot. I got older and traveled out and, you know, plays in different places, I noticed I was like, okay, wow. I have a different confidence going against some dudes that I know went is, on to play in the league. Is Clay from L.A.? I know his dad played for the Lakers. Orange County. He went to Santa, okay. Mar- he went to Santa Margarita High School. Same, okay. uh, same, okay. same league as uh, St. John Bosco, modern day. Gotcha. Um, and Andre Miller, Verbum Day, shout out. It's just – impressive and we have these conversations whenever you have a big board <laughs> yeah. i'm like hey are you sure cassius stanley isn't the top 15 player 
and uh, and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, but he might be higher than I have him rated. Yeah, objectively, and I'm riding my bias when it comes to these this analysis. I I will go down with the ship on Stanley Johnson. I have no I have no choice. The man won four state championships in high school basketball in California. I thought he was LeBron James. Yeah. So how could you not? Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I'd love to see the college basketball scene take shape in a more dominant fashion in years to come. Shout out to my boy Ethan at USC. Uh, I want to see those boys do some do some damage next season. They may with Evan Mobley. Yep. From guess where? Bingo. Then you got Brandon Boston. You got Sharif Cooper. No, no, no. Sharif Cooper was from Georgia. He just played with those guys. Um, they had a whole big four recruiting class of, of like kids from the. You got team. you got Josh Josh Christopher going to ASU. Yep. My favorite player out of high school very, basketball. Very familiar with, with, with Jalen Josh Green. Um, yep. Is, is Dacian Nix from LA? Oh, man, I'm not certain because I, even I tailed off from the high school basketball scene the last couple okay. of years out there. But okay. I know that you were like, you rave about Josh Christopher. I happened to be in town in like February. You got, you got Zaire Williams at Stanford as well, another Sierra Canyon guy. Serious. Not to mention LeBron James Jr. We'll, we'll see. He's got some growth. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not a whole player. He's not even, yeah, we won't do that. But LA Hoops, LA. CIF Southern Section basketball. That's where it's at. Talent and, and breed some some dogs that I'm proud of in the league. Would would you put that up against like Chicago Inner City? For sure. The thing is though, it's such a stylistic. That's why I was asking. That's why I was asking. And even yeah, and even then, you might be a five star or even a four star prospect that doesn't pan out to be an all-star and some of that is in the style some of that is is rooted in the the easy going laid back the culture West of the west style coast. of basketball yeah, yeah. small ball perimeter finesse emphasis yeah that contrasted with styles developed elsewhere we'll always see that that you mean like chicago where they'll get in your ass for 90 feet derrick rose doesn't become Derrick Rose <laughs> if if he grew up in in Beverly Hills. Preach that. But yeah, so that that is a, a proud bias of mine. You got any more? Because I've got I've only got one more, and I know we were going to use that to lead into our next segment. Well, before you uh before you bring it home, then I'll just I'll just throw some love out to 2000s basketball, man. Yes, I I, I will be uh a sucker for any any 2000s throwback game any any playoff series revisited any, any finals any hardwood classic from from that era of basketball. to this day to this day mid 2000s Dirk Nowitzki is the most unstoppable weapon I've ever seen on offense I just wish that we could replay some of the scenarios from seasons back then where we had a Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki, Shaquille O'Neal. Right, right. 
the the All Star teams in the Western and Eastern Western and Eastern Western and Eastern Conference, pardon me, wild year in and year out, were just so loaded. They almost became preset teams of the conference. It was like, it was, it was like Hall of Fame ballots trying to pick your All Star team. Yeah, so you're splitting hairs between Dwayne Wade coming off the bench and Carmelo Anthony starting, and at the latter end of the decade, you got Kevin Durant throwing you know his hat, throwing his name in the pot as well. Like it's. Um, I'm going to need you to hold my Dirk for one second because I've got another bias i got to throw in off that Dirk Nowitzki. <clears throat> the Dallas Mavericks are the rightful 2006 NBA champions. That's all. That? Thank are you. Uh, you. Carry on. Didn't mean to interrupt. You know Dwayne Wade averaged 39 from games three to game six in that series, right? You know Steve Javi averaged like two mil from games three to game six in that series, right? I'm just saying. You're going to come at the king best not miss. I'm just saying. Uh, Josh Howard wasn't getting it done. Michael Finley. He was in the first quarter. You can Michael check those Finley, stats. They, they weren't checking, my man. But but to play off of that, 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 early, that early 2000s Dallas Mavericks team, before LeBron James was my favorite player in the NBA, while he was still getting established, my favorite player was actually Steve Nash. And yeah, you that, told me about this. Some of that was rooted in my vicarious hatred for the Lakers at the time. And in the mid-2000s, you just see these Suns teams give it to the Lakers in the postseason. And God. those Lakers rosters were they were scrubs. They're, they're and they Kobe, were they were Kobe so much man. fun to watch, scrubs, man. So. Oh my god! Some of those series, I had a deep hatred for the San Antonio Spurs. Get in line. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's a probably a long line of, of, of Western Conference teams who hate it, that franchise. For for me, it grew to respect. The only team in the for West sure. that I truly hate is the Rockets. <laughs> and I hold you before you get into that before you went on that tangent. But no, I, I'm not going to disrespect Houston. They, Houston, you, Houston, you know what you are. You know what you did. That's all I need to say. And I will always look back fondly on the NBA Live era of basketball. It was just insane. I, I wish we could see what some of those players would do in – the 2010s era of spacing, up-tempo, emp- empower the player. Well, it's wild league. because there are some role players that probably become borderline all-stars, and there are some all-stars that, you know, probably get played off the court, right? Yep. Yep. So I'll, I'll, th- I'll toss this to you. You don't have any more because this is my last. This is my last bias. We'll revisit this segment for sure. To uh, it'll, it'll be keep an it, to keep thing. it fresh. But yeah, nah, I, I'll, I'll leave that for the, I'll leave that for now. There will always be a very very special place in my heart for Rajon Rondo, Chris Jenkins, and Austin Rivers. And that place in my heart is a dark, fiery black hole because of what each of these three men have individually cost my fandom 
to both my beloved North Carolina Tar Heels as well as my Dallas Mavericks. And if I hear playoff Rondo one more time, I might just blow a blood vessel because that man single-handedly tried to not even tried succeeded in losing the Dallas Mavericks to series you, after you we traded a Crowder for him when we had the best offensive rating in NBA history up until that point in the season Rajon Rondo I wish you nothing but the best except for the worst good you, night sir you have to let that go nobody else remembers Rajon Rondo in a Dallas Mavericks uniform why don't you feel this Maybe way about DeAndre Jordan from. Maybe not where you're from. And Chris Jenkins, care to care to elaborate? Um. Oh, shoot. that's the that's Mr. Big Shot. You know who he was before you asked me about him. Marcus Page will never be the same. Hey, don't don't disrespect my point guard like that. He hit. Yeah, in my opinion. I'm laughing because I actually, when, when I read your list before the show, I, I read Chris Jenkins' name, and I knew there was a story there, but I was just like... Did you have to is... Google it? No, I didn't. I didn't care. I was like, okay, he's going to get into it. I know there's something there. And just right now, I'm like, Nova. <laughs> Man, Marcus Page hit... One of the greatest shots I've ever seen in my life. Oh, man. Double-clutched lefty. Three from from 30. Handyland, yeah. And as soon as the shot goes in, for about a millisecond, I go, holy shit, we're going to win. And then I immediately go, oh, no, there's too much time left on the clock. And sure enough, my big man from Villanova sets a screen 65 feet from the basket (laughs) On Chris Jenkins, dude, and he pulls up from like the Ryan Archdiakono handoff. Pulls up from Alaska. The catchback to Chris and just Jenkins ruins my fucking dreams. After brother didn't, didn't didn't give you guys, uh, and that's the real heartbreaking moment as a fan. And, but when you you're know, watching when the back, ball, you're processing is this game over? But you know it's over. Yeah. And you're just taking in the scene and you're like, I cannot believe. Well, and part of it was I just – I loved that team so much. Theo Pinson was one of my favorite Tar Heels ever. I just love the energy he has, the way he plays the game. Was that a, a good Bryce Johnson year? This was uh, um, post-Bryce Johnson. Mm. Um, this was like Kennedy Meeks, um, all those guys. Uh, Theo Pinson, Marcus Page. Cameron Johnson had to have been on that team. Cameron Johnson, uh, Luke May, because we came back and won the next year. You know Luke May was on that team. Luke, Luke May has been on every North Carolina team since 2002. In, in, some, the Perry, the Perry in some shape or form. Of Tar Heel basketball. We, uh, I like to refer to – we always have a player on the Tar Heels that is known as my great white hope. <laughs> Dating all the way back to Tyler Hansborough, we've always had a great white hope. And um, let me just say, I'm excited for Walker Kessler this year. Okay. Uh, I'm excited for college basketball for that alone. I'll be watching with with a fine eye on, on – run me his name back one more time. I apologize. Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler, player, ladies and gentlemen. You heard his name here. Player of the year out of Georgia, seven-foot big man with a sweet shooting stroke. I like it. 
I like it a lot. Buy in now. Buy low. Buy low right now. Um, and, of course, the last man on my list is Austin Rivers. If, if you don't know the game winner, you should know the game winner. But it's more than that, man. I, I started looking at high school tapes and stuff around the time he was a senior. And I was like, there's something about this guy that I just don't really like. And then he is goes to do like your your the, what that rivalry is for you. You just put a face right there for Duke. Is this Austin Rivers? Yeah, um, NBA father um, pedigree went to whatever high school wherever he Prep wanted high to. School, uh, what was it? Uh, Winter Park, Prep, Winter Winter yeah. Park, Florida. Um, yeah, came in cocky as hell. Mixtape legend. Mixtape legend. Um, and of course, life, ball is life really ruined some careers in, in the early season. Early and, and of course, the only memorable moment he has from Duke is the mother effing buzzer beater in Chapel Hill. So, leading Honestly. from son to father, Doc Rivers has just accepted a new head coaching position with the Philadelphia 76ers. Mm-hmm. Daryl, talk to me. So this was a breaking story when we last recorded. Happened only a few hours before we recorded, recorded episode two. And we didn't stay on that part forever because we had, lot, we had jokes to get off about the Clippers. And we figured that it would be a developing story. And it seems that there was all sorts of dissension within the higher-ups of the Clippers organization as far as as far as who was the fall person for this meltdown. And ultimately somebody had to go. And I don't think that it all fell on Doc because I actually think that he put forth a, a good effort in trying to, to corral this team. You can't imagine that this is what he wanted for the season. Hey, right. we're going to put this brand new roster together and they all think they're the Boston Celtics big three. But well, let's focus, gotta, let's focus on the You got to put it together from scratch. So, yeah. So, I'm, I'm happy that he landed on his feet in what was probably the most, the sweetest coaching gig available on the market. A lot of people thought that his assistant, Ty Lue, would be a favorite for it. I, uh, I'm still high on Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But... Actually making it work is a much tougher task. Here's the thing. He can mend the locker room if there's mending to be needed, but I don't know if he can mend that offense. Exactly. And with the contracts they have, the only valuable trade pieces really except for Joel and uh, Ben, who I think you have to get rid of one of them, I would keep Ben. You've got to start looking at guys like – Hands down, I would keep Ben. You gotta start looking at guys like Thibault. You gotta start looking at guys like Josh Richardson. And you gotta start, I mean, guy, Shake Milton, guys that you don't really wanna trade away because they're pretty integral to your lineup. Yeah, but that's the only f- room for flexibility. Exactly. And so I think it's a really tough situation that Doc is stepping into. I'm interested to see how the X's and O's are gonna work out if they work out. Um, but mm-hmm. overall, I think it's very important that Doc remained a head coach in the NBA during this climate with everything going on. Um, he's well-respected. 
He's somebody. A leader, yeah. You were not, we're not questioning his leadership. And and in this time and climate, I you know sounds corny coming from a white guy. We can't have no. declining numbers in black head coaches in the NBA. Black coaches, period, in the NBA. Uh, round of applause for that. No, I agree. And you know, Joel is has Twitter fingers for days. He's very. He seems to be very excited about the Doc Rivers move. Embraced it, you know. Seth, Philly I think forever, Philly is just excited. It's not Brett Brown right now. I would agree with that. But if Joel is on board, all signs point to that. That leaves Ben Simmons. And if you put if anybody at the Philadelphia 76ers gave me a job in their front office, I, I would say, I don't care what you guys do. Number 25 is untouchable. I agree. The counterpoint that would be because we think he's so much more valuable. Mm-hmm. If there are moves to be made and you need to make those moves, he's definitely the guy you're going to get the highest return on by far. That's a good point as well. I would Joel, say you have to, his, his open market value is tough to gauge because he has a, a, an injury history that's more alarming than his actual games played record with, with, would say. And you wonder, will he hit reach a point where he just can't do what prime Joel can do anymore? I, I think we should probably leave it at this with Philly. They've found their head coach, but their future is still very, very much uncertain. Yep. Their hands are tied moving forward as far as assets. Payroll, draft capital. Exactly. All of it. So it will be an uphill battle, but they got some great players to start with in the Eastern Conference that will get you in the playoffs. Yep. They, they, they'll remain relevant. It's and just I, I'll never forget how that, content are they with relevant. Mm-hmm. That that nucleus of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are are a bounce shot away from perhaps even upset from outlasting the Toronto Raptors in twenty in twenty two thousand nineteen and potentially upsetting the Bucks in the conference finals and making the finals. If that happens, yep. we, 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 view mean, this, we view this core completely differently. Well, it, I mean, if That's if that course. happens, Brett Brown has a job. Yeah, and we can't play a game of what ifs, but I can't forget that that team was right there with the top of the league. So yep. there's a no, they, work. they can make it work. We're looking forward to seeing it. All right, y'all. I think that just about wraps up for us. I want to thank you guys for joining us on another episode of the Half Court Trap. We'll be back with some more content for you guys soon. Uh, please subscribe, listen, do your thing, download. Hey, mom. Hey, mom, I said hello. All of that. Yo, and if you, uh, if you think it's ever, you're down and out, you probably, it's probably time for you to throw on the Half Court Trap. Yep, never stop trapping. Call, call up a buddy. Call call your mama. Call your cousin. Call your best friend. Your like, hey man, I, hey man, I need you. Let's throw this trap on real quick. Let's get back in the game, and 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 then that's it. it you can throw the half court trap on at any point. Yeah. Never forget. Never. <laughs> Big shout out to my boy Mark Man for this beat. We appreciate you, man, and we'll be back with you soon with another episode of Half Court Trap Podcast. And I've got one more quick shout-out to our boy Anthony Andrade, who hooked us 
all up at BTC with our graphics. It, a good, freaking fantastic job. Shout out my boy Anthony. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be back to uh, give you some more news soon. Keep on trapping, baby.